Yeah, go on. It's a bit spooky, isn't it? Put a light on. That's a bit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't realise the theme was good news today, but for some reason I picked the word salvation to talk to. Is that good news? And it's quite um, an ambitious word, because this word is really about three hours long. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it into 35 minutes. I'm going to do it so quick. It's like Mickey Mouse on speed. I'm going to be just rattling right through. But I'm going to go from the start, and I'm going to go to the middle bit and the end. Because salvation isn't just about the start. There is a middle. And it's the middle bit which is very interesting. Right? And something Bryony said when she was giving her Big Ben thing, was so on the ball, and in fact, it sort of resonates with the word I'm giving. Salvation, let's do the start, right? Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Right? That is salvation. Let me just break this down. By grace. So God gives us a gift, and we repent of our sins, and that's grace. We have faith, we believe, and we are brought into the kingdom when we repent of our sins and give our sins to Jesus. Is that the start? Am I right with that? Am I spot on? Great. Um, And it involves repentance, a changing of mind about sin, and accepting Jesus in. All right? Accepting Jesus as our Lord. That's the beginning. Now, when you read what Jesus says... He says some very challenging things. He says some great things, but he says probably the most challenging things in the New Testament. One of the things he says, and this is Matthew twenty four twelve. Jesus says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Okay? But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. I think, hang on a minute, I've just in the beginning. And the beginning says, the doors of salvation open, I enter in, the doors close behind me, and I'm in, saved. So what's Jesus talking about? The hearts of people going cold. Surely, once saved, always saved. Right? But Jesus talks here and says a very challenging and disturbing thing. In the last days, when evil increases, lawlessness increases... Many hearts will turn cold. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at the news and I look at the internet and I see lawlessness and evil increasing. I see pockets of evil rising wherever I look. Perhaps it's because I read too many papers. I don't know. Perhaps I watch the BBC News, which my wife tells me I do too much. But it seems to me lawlessness is on the rise. We have political lawlessness. We have social even our great institutions, um, Wimbledon, they're even saying that Wimbledon, there's been some match-fixing going on. I am shocked. Wimbledon, evil, is raising its head. But it is. I see it in my line of work. I see evil rising. All right? But what I'm going to talk to you about today, and to myself, is the concept of sticking with it, endurance, commitment and completion. The beginning of the sandwich, the middle of the sandwich, 
the end. Okay? Now, when I talk, and it's not very often, but when I talk, I always talk about boxing, right? And I am criticised for it. And I do like boxing. I have been prayed for, right? <laughs> and and it, it's still working. These prayers are still working. But I have created some sort of boxing dynasty, right? My sons are superb boxers. Rainer and Elliot, really good. And Wayne Doe was a friend of mine. He gave me this book called The King of the Gypsies. And I read The King of the Gypsies. It's about famous fighters through the gen. And my great-grandfather is in the book, right? One of the famous fighters. Yeah, he's a... So it's in the DNA, right? It's obviously bypassed me, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, my role in this boxing thing, I go along to the boxing club, and it's a really good boxing club. Marina and Elliot tell you this. My role is basically I carry the bags, yeah? And I... I sit, and I drive the car, and I hand someone a towel, and I shout, <coughs> I shout things like, come on, my son, yeah, lovely, watch his left hand, come on. That's all my role is, really. So the dynasty sort of stops at me, but it carries on with rain. Anyway, anyway, every September, there's a new start of the year in the boxing club. And usually, there's about 40, 45 full-time boxers, and they're all committed guys. September there's an influx of about 40 new people every September. And you turn up to the boxing club on a Tuesday and a Thursday, and it's rammed with all these newbies. And they're all ages, 14, 15, 16, all the way up to 20, 30-year-olds. And come April, it's back down to 40 again. They've all gone, right? And I imagine it works like this. I imagine it's, say I'm a 15-year-old, I just joined the boxing club, and I go home to my dad, and I say, Dad, I just joined a boxing club. And he says, how's it gone? I says, fantastic. Oh, I love my box. My first boxing night was great. They made us run around the ring. Oh, I loved that. And then I punched the bag a few times. I love boxing. Second week, I was boxing. Oh, I loved it. Run around the ring four times. They give me a pair of gloves. And I punched the bag. I love boxing. Third week, I love boxing, Dad. I got some shorts. I got the moves. I got a couple of moves. I've created some boxing moves here. I love boxing. Fifth week. Dad, they made us run around the ring, ring ten times. I felt sick. In fact, I was sick. Because they made us run around ten times, then, run, then they made me do 47 press-ups. I was sick in the corner. I'm not so keen. Final week. Dad, I don't like boxing. Somebody punched me on the nose. <laughs> Some guy punched me. What? It's violent. I don't want to go anymore. Seventh week, I've jacked in the boxing club. I've joined the chess club. <laughs> and you know, that was, that's what happens. The 40 who start, week six, are gone. And the ones who remain go on to achieve. And I know, my kids, how much they've endured So I've been at every fight. How much it takes from commitment to endurance to getting hit and to carrying on. Isn't this terrible, this sermon about boxing, right? But they've learned so much in their characters through this thing, okay? So what I'm talking about is the middle bit now. We're in the middle bit of this sandwich. 
And, and, and Jesus says, or Paul says, sorry, he says in Philippians, and he's talking about salvation. He says this, Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Isn't that a bit weird? Hang on, I thought it was just about saying the prayer, opening the doors, doors clang behind me, I'm in. And Paul's talking about fear and trembling. What on earth is that? And this is an important verse. Because what fear and trembling means, and he talks about, the Bible talks about fear and trembling a bit later on. It's about having reverence and respect for what you've become and not treating this salvation so lightly that you can just take it or leave it put it in your pocket and take it out this salvation has to be respected the choices we take have to be in accordance with this salvation that's where the fear and trembling comes from it doesn't mean that as I'm going down the road someone says oh Mike you're looking a bit nervy today your hands are, sh- what's wrong? I don't say, oh, I'm thinking about my salvation. I feel a bit edgy. That's not what it means. It's taking off the reverence and respect of what God's called us to. And once you treat your salvation with this fear, and it's not fear in that you're lying and transfixed on the floor, shaking. It's fear of God that what he says is important. The choices we make are important. This fear and trembling comes up again in 2 Corinthians 7.15. And this is Paul talking about Titus. And he says to, and Paul says to the Corinthians about Titus, and he says, and his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him, Titus, with fear and trembling. Now, Titus wasn't a, a brutal guy. He was somebody they respected. And they treated him with reverence. So this fear and trembling is that thing. So we need to be respectful of our salvation. Be careful of the decisions we take. And be careful of the attitudes we have in our life towards others, towards God, towards ourselves. And I'm mindful of the parable of the sower as well. And this is from Mark 4. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Where the sower throws seeds onto the ground and there's four types of seeds and the first one hits the path and Jesus explains what this parable is and three of these seeds don't grow to fruition only the fourth seed the parable of the sower I believe applies to us as well the first one Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them so that seed that hits the path does not enter into the path. It just bounces off. It's picked up by Satan. The second seed, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Immediately they receive it with joy. So this seed comes into their hearts. Right? They've heard the word of God. Perhaps these people have even prayed the prayer of salvation. They receive it with joy. And then it says, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately 
they fall away. So there's no, there's no bedrock there. The third one, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The seed enters again. I don't know whether these guys prayed the prayer, but something happened along the way in their hearts and their hearts become entwined and entangled by the cares of the world, by riches, and I could, you know, I could say what this is by pursuit of a career, perhaps. Nothing wrong with that. But when that pursuit of the career and money and goodness knows what overreaches and oversteps God's, God's will for you, that seed is taken away. The fourth seed. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who have the, hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The demonstration of salvation is fruit. Okay? It's the fourth seed. These ones, they bore fruit. So if you want to know whether salvation is in your heart, look at the fruit you produce. That's what it says. Now, okay, some would argue the first three seeds weren't saved ever. I don't know whether that's right. Because I can see for two of them, that seed was received. The second one, they received it with joy. Right? But something happened along the way. We do not want that for us. I don't know where you are in life. You don't know where I am. I don't know whether just coming to church means very much. I don't know. But the fruit of what you produce is the assurance of your salvation. So, my word is this. Commit and complete. You start and you finish. Non-committal and passivity will cost you everything that God has for you. I'm going to talk about commitment. It's the passive lifestyle that will destroy you and what God has for you. There's a famous Scottish um, writer called W. H. Murray. Okay. Um, do you know him, Alistair? You're from Scotland, don't you? <laughs> Hang on. He's from Scotland. All right. Oh, this little-known Scottish person, W. H. Murray. Right? It's just an insignificant nobody. Right? Thank you, Alistair. Anyway, this um, insignificant individual called W. H. Murray, he was a famous writer in certain circles. Um, and what he was, he, he's, he was in the Nazis. He was caught by the Nazis. And he wrote, while he was in a, you can imagine this, while he was in the Nazi concentration camp, he wrote a book on toilet paper and he called it Mountaineering in Scotland. He wrote this book and he hid, I don't know how ta- tall this toilet paper, paper tower was, but he hid it and he wrote a whole book whilst he was there. And the Gestapo found it. I don't know whether they read it, but they burnt it. Okay, his life's work in, the, anyway, what did he do? He wrote it again whilst in a concentration camp. And he had it published when he was released. Now, is that commitment? Isn't that amazing? He's Scottish as well. He's great, but let me tell you something. He wrote, he's great. And let me tell you another thing. He wrote, right? I want it says inspiring. 
He wrote another book called The, the Scottish Himalayan Expedition, 1951. And he talks about commitment. And I think in this little prologue to this book, it's so important for us to hear it, I believe right now. He says this. And he's talking about entering this expedition. He says this. But when I said that nothing had been done, I erred in one important matter. We had definitely committed ourselves and were halfway out of our ruts. I'm not sure what that means, but we had put down our passage money, booked at sailing to Bombay. This may sound too simple, but is great in consequence. Now, here's the words. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. That's it. And he says, all sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events, issues from the decision raising in one's favour all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would have come his way. What he's saying is, once you commit and you step into that commitment with an act, providence, I don't know if he's talking about God, but God steps in to help you. That is the amazing truth of salvation. He also refers to a chap called Goiter, and he says, Goiter's couplets, Whenever, whatever you can do or dream, you can. Begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So that's commitment. Make that commitment, whether it's to be saved, whether it's a thing you do in your marriage, whether you want to improve your marriage, improve your life for your children, improve your career, improve whatever. If God tells you to commit, you commit in your heart, but you make that first step. That's the power of commitment. Now we're going to talk about completion. Because so often we tie our faith to commitment, but finishing as it the, is at the core of following. Acts 20, verse 24, and this is Paul. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now the Bible is full of biographies. Right? I love reading biographies about certain people. I love to see the struggles that people like me, ordinary people like me and you, have had how God encountered them. And then with that encounter from God, they went through their lives and they completed the task God gave them. And the trouble with these biographies, we soundbite them. We go to the encounter and then we go to the victory. That's the soundbite. We hear about David beating Goliath, right? Fantastic. We hear how David was, was crowned king. Fantastic. We hear about his triumphs, his victories. But what we forget is all the bad stuff in the middle. 
all the struggles he had, all the tiredness, the exhaustion, all the failings, that is a part of the process. Okay? Gideon is exactly the same. And Gideon is discussed in Judges. Let me recap the story of Gideon. The Israelites, and t- take a look at Judges, Judges 6 onwards, I think. The Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. And they were being oppressed because they had turned away from God. And they were so fearful of what the Midianites were doing. And, and, and Gideon, who was a, a bit of a nobody, really, he was the youngest in a very inauspicious family. One day, he's threshing wheat. And he's so scared that the Midianites might spot it. He does it inside a wine vat, of all places. So he's hiding in a wine vat, doing his everyday job. And an angel appears to him. And the angel says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, first of all, Gideon is not fantastically impressed by this. Because he starts questioning the angel. Despite an angel being there, he says, I want a sign from you. <laughs> you know, come on, show us you're an angel and all this. And so the angel strikes the fire up for him. So he's all right with that. Okay, this fire is significant to him. And then he thinks, yeah, God is with me. And the angel says, Gideon, you will produce an army and you will go on. And he knows he's the most insignificant. And if anything, this story tells us that timidity, timidity, and lack of power is no holdback for God. God deliberately chose the weakest of the lot. And God wrought a great victory through Gideon. Right? But there's more to this story. And then um, Gideon commits. He makes the first step of commitment because God says to him, you will go and you will rip up your father's altar to Baal. And Gideon, being Gideon, does it in the middle of the night when no one's watching. And he rips it up and chucks it down. And then there's uproar in the morning. Who's smashed down our altar to Baal? They discover it was Gideon. They let him off. That's the first step of commitment. The next step of commitment, he takes a horn and blows it. Do you see? Commitment needs an action. He blows the horn. And he's surprised then to be surrounded by an army. He's fully in it. He's suddenly in charge. And he goes and attacks these armies. And God whittles down his army from 20,000 or whatever it is to 300 people. Right? So he's already outnumbered massively. And God, through Gideon, does an amazing, amazing victory. And the Midianites start attacking each other in confusion. And he wins the battle. He's a total success. But all along the way, he's been timid and not bold. In fact, on occasions, he tests God with fleeces. So God tells him to do so. And he just says, well, just to make sure, I'm going to put a fleece out. And if it's wet in the morning, I'll believe you. It's wet in the morning. And then he says, just to be doubly, doubly sure, I'm going to put the fleece out again. And if it's dry in the morning, I'll believe you. So this ain't, you know, brimming with faith, this guy. God makes it dry in the morning. And it's the sun. He needs the sun and off he goes. And then it says, Israel was peaceful for 40 years under the reign of Gideon. Because of Gideon, 
All right, isn't that an amazing story? Okay, so I've given you a sort of checkered history here, but the great and wonderful verse in the story of Gideon is this, is Judges 8.4. And it follows on from what Bryony was saying and from what Bex was saying, I think. And it says, Then Gideon and the 300 who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over, exhausted, yet pursuing. That is a powerful verse. Exhausted, yet pursuing. In other words, they were beyond their physical capacity to keep on going. But they kept on going. The Bible is full of people who keep on going. Exhausted, yet pursuing. And that exhaustion carried them on still. And then they're starving, still exhausted. And they go to some so-called friends and say, can you give us some food? And the friends say, no. And you think, wow, this is all a joke. But Gideon keeps on and on and he doesn't give up. That's the point. And these biographies in the Bible are full of stories like this. You do not give up. It's commitment, right? It's completion. And then we get to the end of the race, as Paul tells us. Who said it's going to be easy? It's easy to make marriage vows, isn't it? It's great to have a wedding day. But working out the marriage and commitment takes a lifetime. Who said that's going to be easy? All right? Children, it's lovely having kids when they're little. When they get to teenage, they're interesting. But working with children is not easy. You've got to commit. You've got to make it happen. It is exhausting. You keep with it. And you know, in this day and age, it's difficult to get stuff done, isn't it, sometimes? Doing stuff is a pain. I'd rather retire and just put my feet up, you know? But finishing is at the core of following. It really is. That's what we need to hold on to. And again, just to remind you, they were exhausted yet pursuing. So what can we do about this? Paul talks about running the race. Running a race takes time. And um, I don't know if you ever got, you guys have run a marathon. Anybody run a marathon here? Stubbs, you must have. Stubbs, honestly. He's run loads. I've run, I've run half marathons. I've never run. And what is unusual about me is that I'm naturally fit, right? I'm just like, I don't know, I'm just like an oiled, well-oiled fitness machine. And um, it's, it's very unusual in people. I understand that. And, you know, the first one I ran was tricky. The second one was okay. The third one is okay. The fourth one is okay. And, you know, the fifth one, I thought, you know, I don't need to train for this because I'm naturally fit. So I committed. I signed the form with Rainer and Elliot, and I signed the form at New Forest Marathon a couple of years ago, and I thought, I'll be all right. I don't need to train for this because, you know, DNA and stuff. I remember going to the race. I hadn't trained at all, 13 miles. Right? I was standing with Rainer and Elliot. We're all kitted up this. And uh, the whistle goes. Rainer and Elliot go legging it off. And I think, oh, those lads. Enthusiasm, fantastic. I'll catch them up a bit later. And as I'm running, first mile, I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm thinking, I'm a modern piece of science here. I haven't trained. I haven't trained. Second mile, Fantastic. I'm doing great. Third mile, brilliant. I'm loving it. Cut the beads of sweat, flick them off. Fourth mile, brilliant. 
Who needs to train for marathons? Half marathons. Fifth mile, doing great. Sixth mile, I hit the wall. Sixth, you know what the wall is? Stubby, you know what the wall is? The wall is like when you're doing a, a full marathon, you come to about 23 miles and you hit this wall and you can't move any further, right? I'd hit the wall after five miles. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what do I do? I can't move. So I stopped. I thought, I can't move my legs. I feel really ill. And um, I've got sort of eight miles to go. And I, what shall I do? Can I just walk back? <laughs> and just wave at everybody. How are you doing, all right? Like your shorts. I can't do that. So I've got, I've got, I've got eight miles to go on embarrassing five miles walking back, <laughs> waving. What do you think I did? I just carried on. I just thought, stop it. I'm going to go. And I carried on those, how many miles? Eight miles. Eight miles. I did, and I didn't stop, and I didn't stop my pace. I felt like death. Every step I took, there's this voice in my ear, you're an idiot. You should train. You're going to die sometime during this race. You're, you're not, you're not wondering modern science at all. You're in your 50s, for goodness sakes. But I did. I kept on going. And I was like a steam train. I just kept on going, going, going. I didn't stop. I didn't slow down. I felt ill. This voice is in my ear. I just, and you know, the worst mile was the last mile. I saw this sign, um, 12 miles, one mile to go. And I was feeling that bad. The last mile was the worst. And that, in last mile, I nearly gave up. That's when I nearly gave up. Mile 13 or whatever it was, yeah? But I got through, right? You don't want to do that. So how, what do we do? What do we do to keep in this race? Pray. The, who said that? Train! Oh, we're back on the half marathon, right. Yeah, you train. You eat some good food, yeah? You go to bed early, do you? Proper shoes, I was okay with the shoes, the shorts, I was looking great. You train. All right, let's take it more spiritual now. Second Peter says this, right? I just want to see, how do we go on and run this race right to the end? Not to be the ones Jesus said where our hearts grow cold. Not to be in the, in the parable of the sower, seed number two, number three, seed number one, two, or three. I want to run to right to the end. I want to get stronger, you know? What God wants to give us is character, okay? It's great to have spiritual gifts. All these things. The Bible says, desire these things. But Second Peter talks about character which will sustain you. I'll read out these verses, right? See if this is helpful. It says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So we've got everything. Who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here it gets interesting. For this very reason, make every effort to do the following. One, supplement your faith with virtue. Now, we can do this stuff because Christ lives in us. That's the difference. Christ is 
in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We can do all of these things. Our characters can be changed when we decide to let these things happen. And we decide to put these things on. First thing, supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue is integrity, dignity, honesty. Right? And virtue, supplement it with knowledge. Knowledge, reading the word. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness is being firm on your purpose. With godliness. Godliness means a great reverence for God. And godliness, supplement that with brotherly affection. And finally, brotherly affection, supplement that with love. It's what Peter says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities, I'm still on the same verses, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's it. That's the answer right there. God's given us his spirit. But these qualities produce character in us. And character produces steadfastness and going to the very end. Spiritual gifts are great. But I don't see anything here where having spiritual gifts keeps you going till the end. This is what we should focus on, guys. We want to go to the end, don't we? Yeah? We commit. And when we commit, we do something about that commitment, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our work, whether it's our service in the church, whether it's our walk with God, we do something about it. Commitment. And we want to continue and we put on these qualities because God will do it through us. We develop all these qualities and we build on them to make our characters strong. So what stops us then? First thing is fear, timidity, stepping out, also procrastination, it's a great word, Put off tomorrow what you shall be doing today. Okay, we're great. Everybody's great at that. I love doing stuff tomorrow when I could do it today. All right? Procrastination is a killer. A false belief that you don't have to put much effort in. That's false. I don't see that in the Word. I don't see that in these biographies of these guys putting their feet up. And, and a belief that you can have victory without having to fight. Do you see that in the word? Victory comes when God's spirit is in you. God calls you and we hear his word and we carry on to the very end. Just because things are difficult doesn't mean they're wrong. Has anybody ever had difficulties in their lives? What do you do? Just fall over and lay dead? Or do you fight through? Sometimes. That's what it is, isn't it? Say it again. Don't we all? Right? Don't we all? Because we're all human. But the word says, even in these difficulties, we can keep on going. That's it, really. So, what we do? Pray every day. Just some thoughts. 
read the word, reach others, serve consistently, listen to God's voice. You know, sometimes I forget to hear God's voice. I forget to say, Lord, just tell me what to do right now. Because I just chunder through life. I don't know about you. I just chunder on. I get up in the morning. I just chunder on and do my stuff. And I go to bed at night. Then I wake up the next morning and I chunder on if I'm really busy. Catching a train to London at quarter to six or something. Back at, and all this sort of stuff, you know. Life just takes you up. But do this stuff. Ask God, what should I do tomorrow? Tell me. And when we hear it, if we ask, we will hear. Uh, do as he says and be like Gideon. Commit, battle and complete. Final verse, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. This is Paul. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's Paul's epitaph right at the end of his life. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. What more? And that's the end, you see. So I've done the beginning, the middle, and the end of salvation. Thank you. Yeah. Is this working? Yes.